It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Senator Bill Cassidy is standing by. How does he feel? He does the bipartisan bill. They tried to jam down a reconciliation package, and it looks like that might be stalled. Does he feel vindicated? And Governor Mike Huckabee, Fox News contributor, Arkansas, former Arkansas governor, presidential candidate, and he's host of a great show. I'll be on later today. I'll be taping it, and hopefully you'll see it. All talking about the president and the freedom fighter tonight. Uh, I'll be in Nashville uh, tomorrow. I'll be with the WHIO listeners in Dayton and then on to Cincinnati. Go to BrianKillMe.com. Make reservations so I know you're coming. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I could only say what the president has said himself, that he is planning to run for re-election in 2024. I, I don't have any more to add. But, to but just be clear, when the president says he plans to run again, he, he means with Harris on the ticket? Yes, he does. There's no change. Yes. Yes. Something about bringing up her name just makes people giggle, including her. Karine Jean-Pierre, always filling in for Jen Psaki. Another jaw-dropping bad answer from VP Harris. Are more and more political pundits questions whether to uh, Joe is up for the job. It even talks to the women looking to ascend to the job. Number two. In Burlington, Vermont, often just five officers are on shifts for a city of more than 44,000 after Burlington's leaders cut the police force by nearly 30%. We're in a situation that I think nobody wanted us to get to. In other words, there are some unintended consequences. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, at least. Crime. It's so bad, even lefty left Dems are taking notice uh, as the fund has morphed into refund the cops. We will share the stats and let you know why just paying for more cops and getting more law enforcement will not do the job. Number one. For unvaccinated, we are looking at a winter of severe illness and death for unvaccinated. But there's good news. If you're vaccinated, you have your booster shot, you're protected from severe illness and death. Yeah, that's Joe Biden, Mr. Happy Face. Stop helping. Hey, governors, as another COVID wave crashes stateside, please channel DeSantis and not de Blasio and let us handle it from here. Instead, here comes the mandates, the booster madness. Better not lead to more lockdowns. We'll bring you the latest because I think the people are fed up with it and I'm not sure it's healthy. He's a doctor before he became a senator. Senator Bill Cassie joins us now. He's the Health and Finance Committee's uh, Senator, welcome back. Hey, Brian, thanks for having me back. Uh, I like the big three. Well, yeah. First off, Senator, uh, what is, as a doctor, uh, what is your take on this Omicron variant and the fact that over the last week, 6% uh, increase in cases uh, and we have a 7% uh, increase in deaths? Uh, Omicron tells us what the future is going to be like. We're going to have wave after wave of different variants. We got to learn how to live with it. Continually kind of go through the cycle. We have Omicron. Uh, we take our, take our vaccine. You're less likely to get ill. You're going to have some people, most likely, and we don't. That's tragic. That's really tragic. Um, but but the fact is that it's going to be something we live with, and we've got to start beginning to adjust to that, Brian. 
And, and don't you think that the American people realize that and they they do no longer, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, welcome these lockdowns? Yeah, I think that the fact is the American people are making it pretty clear that when you start the public safety versus personal freedom, they feel like it's going a little bit further to the to the kind of public health than they are comfortable with. Now, you may argue with that, American people or whatever you want to say, but the fact is that's what they are indicating. And I think public officials have got to take that into account. Should you get a vaccine? Oh, I've got, oh absolutely. I've got my vaccine. I've actually had a booster. Uh, get vaccinated. It is the difference between uh, wearing a seatbelt before you have the accident or wishing that you had it on after you had the accident. So, Doc, all, I, I hear you. Have, but, I mean, should we... Uh, should is anyone taking the stats on the breakthrough cases and the hospitalizations? We just hear these numbers that ninety seven percent of the people who are hospitalized are not vaccinated. But yet when the anecdotal information tells a different story, we're certainly watching these sports leagues tell a different story for to believe that they're vaccinated. Are you concerned about the waning strength of the vaccination? Well, two things about that. There's a difference between being infected and going to the hospital. Now, the vaccine, you may still get infected. A lot less likely to go to the hospital. Uh, alternatively, you know, if you don't get vaccinated, you're much more likely to go to the hospital. So infection, probably the breakthrough infection thing is probably not the stat we should be looking at. Um, and, and, yeah, the antibody titers from the vaccine go down over time. But you still got some baseline protection. It's still going to protect you. Is this how you would describe the winter? Cut one. We're unvaccinated. We are looking at a winter of severe illness and death unvaccinated for themselves, their families, and the hospital, they'll soon overwhelm. But there's good news. If you're vaccinated, you have your booster shot, you're protected from severe illness and death, period. Is that how you would describe it? I put a little bit more nuance there. There's evidence that if you've been previously infected, even if you weren't vaccinated, that you got a lot of protection. Uh, yes, you may still get infected, but probably gives you a lot of a lot of protection. There's a lot of nuance there that I wish the CDC would start talking about. I think the American people understand it, and they feel like the CDC is not being straight with them. Yeah, uh, that uh, that would certainly help to have people like you who who actually know what they're talking about and know how to question doctors. Here's your exchange with Dr. Walensky. Uh, from a hearing this week. I'm told that 75, to, um, some north of 75% of CDC employees at headquarters are still working remotely. Is that correct? Um, we are following uh, regulations through HHS and the federal government. No, that's not my question. I apologize to be rude, but I'm asking a very straightforward question. I've been told that north of 75% of employees at, at, at CDC headquarters are working remotely. Is that correct? Senator, I don't actually know the number off the top of okay, my head. When you so look I'd down the to... hallway, are there empty desks? Are over 50% of the desks empty? Senator, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. What I will tell you is that we're working closely within HHS and the administration to follow the governmental rules for return. What was your line of question? What was that about? That the CDC, the most vital organization, the vital uh, division in this country right now, not even collaborating? It's amazing. Brian, it would be like you're talking to a general about a war, and you're saying, General, how many people do you have at the front line? Well, we really can't tell you that. <laughs> how many people are you going to have at the front line? We're following the instructions on what we should do. Um, Brian, it's not just the CDC, by the way. Uh, there's credible evidence that there are just tens of thousands of government employees who have not worked 
since the pandemic started. Now, I may be wrong on that, but but I, there is actually evidence out there that there's a whole swath of people that have not worked from home. They've not Zoomed. They've not gone into the office. They've sat at home. Now they've done their garden. They've shopped for groceries. But they're getting paid. They're getting their benefits, but they're not showing up for work. And it is just maddening, and this administration's hiding uh, uh, covering for them. Sickening, uh, and pun intended. You worked hard in the bipartisan infrastructure bill, $1.2 trillion, $550 billion new money, and evidently we're learning how to – we're trying to uh, spend it in a way uh, that is, I guess, uh, in a woke fashion with this Mayor Landrieu. Uh, it kind of bothered me. He's talking about gender equity and rather than just build a bridge and build a road. So the same day that you guys agree on the bipartisan bill, the president says, I'm not passing one without the other, this reconciliation bill. And now it looks like uh, he waited three months and then passed the bill you worked on. First off, when the president starts linking them and obviously the squad starts pushing the president to get both together, did you feel uh, uh, did you feel as though you were almost lied to that if you guys worked yeah. together? Because everything you negotiated out, they put in a different bill. Absolutely. But that said, I always knew that the bill that came out of the House had no way of passing the Senate. And if Manchin and Cinema stuck to their guns, it was no way that it could be anything close to what came out of the House and passed the Senate. And, and so taking out the infrastructure, the real infrastructure, has made it a lot harder to pass their bill back, their bad, bad, bad bill. And that was the original strategy on our side. So yesterday, it looks like not only did the parliamentarian kick out the immigration, naturalizing all these illegal immigrants and said it has nothing to do with a spending bill is the only way you do it with a simple majority. Then it, Joe Manchin says, I'm not passing this. This is not the time. And Kirsten Sinema doesn't want to raise taxes. And she is not going to go to, looks like, to blow up the filibuster. So that has caused a civil war. Listen to Bernie Sanders. Cut 29. You got 48 people in the Democratic caucus who are prepared and a president of the United States prepared to think big. And you have two Democrats who, in my view, are kind of acting like Republicans. And uh, to me, I respect other people's points of view, but I do not respect the arrogance of any member of the Senate who says, you know what, I'm going to torpedo this entire bill supported overwhelmingly by the American people. And you got two people who say, you know what, hey, if you don't do it my way, I don't care what the president wants. I don't care what 48 of my colleagues want. It's my way or the highway. And that I regard as arrogance. What's your take on this? Uh, this yeah, welcome uh, this... to the U.S. Senate. We're not a dictatorship. And we're actually supposed to be able to take things and make sure that they are better, not representing the views of the person who is arguably the most liberal person in the Senate since Kamala Harris left, but rather the views of the entire state of the entire United States of America. And there's 52 senators that think it's wrong to mortgage our future for programs which Bernie Sanders may like, but we're not sure makes our country stronger. Now, uh, and I could go down some list of things that everybody would agree is not going to work to make our country stronger. So, you know, Bernie, uh, he's got a perspective. I disagree with that perspective. Listen to the heat Joe Manchin's under. Cut 28. Senator Manchin, is it true you want the child tax credit out of the No, no. I'm not. I've always been for child tax credits. We voted for it many times. Do uh, you want to continue it the way it is with $300 a month for, for the youngest kids? Guys, I'm not, I'm not negotiating with any of you, okay? You can ask all the questions you want. You can just, guys, let me go. This is bullshit. You're bullshit, okay? 
I'm done. I'm done. Okay, thank you. Thank All right, you. Senator. So it's getting it's getting hot, but he is literally saving the country. So what Joe's pointing out, the tax credit they have in there is only for one year. Now, if you actually funded their tax credit over the entire 10 year period, it would cost the entirety of what they have to spend for it. One point seven five trillion dollars. So the left wants to give you a one year tax credit, pull it back. But knowing that next year will come back and do it unfunded. Now, that is a way to push our country into economic oblivion, passing bills which in no way are paid for, cynically knowing that you can lie to the American people, hey, don't worry, it's paid for when it's really not. Hats off to Joe. He's the one who's calling him out. Uh, absolutely. Um, literally, because ever since you lost Georgia, it would have been easy for them to pass a reconciliation package, but they can't agree on uh, any of it. Where is Joe Biden's view? You sat with him for the infrastructure bill. Is he like Manchin, but just hostage to the left? Is he more, has he become in his later years more like Bernie Sanders? You know, I can't, uh, you know, of course, I don't know what's in the guy's head. But all you can point out is that he used to be like Joe Manchin, and now he's like Bernie Sanders. And you get a sense that Bernie's frustration is that he felt like he had the power within his hand, and now it's being thwarted by a democratic process. Which is a little bit kind of like, hmm, you feel frustrated because the democratic process is thwarting your vision of what America should look like? That's actually a good thing. It works left and right. Um, uh, I think Joe Joe Biden used to be like Joe Manchin. I think now, if you just look at it, he's being guided more by Bernie. So the question is, in the new year, the Joe Biden basically admitted this is not going to pass. In the new year, will it pass, especially as you get close to the midterm elections and and the Democrats will be saying, what did we actually accomplish Here's what Mitch McConnell said, cut 31. If you look at the nature of their problems, the open border, the raging inflation, the rise in crime, I think the likelihood of their dilemma getting much better in a year is pretty slim. What's your take, Senator Cassidy? Totally agree, because they would have to go against their radical left. They would have to use one of your one of your top three. They'd have to not only help fund the police, but they'd have to do something about the DAs that actually are, are not enforcing the law. And that's not a federal issue, but the federal government can have influence on it. And they've been influencing it negatively so far. The border they would have to shut down the border totally goes against the progressive left open border. By the way, they'd have to do something about opioids. But to do something about opioids, they have to do something about the border. That's where the drugs are coming across. And so they can't do anything about opioids. They're captive to their left agenda, and they're just exposing it as bad for the United States of America. We're cracking down on five-year-olds with the vaccine in New York City, but we left the border wide open where nobody gets tested from from countries so impoverished they don't even know what a vaccine looks like. You can't have it both ways. Senator Bill Cassidy, these are all self-inflicted wounds by this administration. For the good of the country, I hope they even wise up to one of them. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. You got it. one 408-7669. I'll take your calls. Then Governor Huckabee will be with us. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first. Only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. 
you'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back. I'm going to get with Governor Huckabee shortly. It's going to be great. I'll get a perspective on politics. But I want to take a step back. And I know all of you are saying this. I told you so. You defund, reimagine the police. You pull them out of Minneapolis. It follows the same thing in New York. You vilify them in Philadelphia. You never give them any backing in Los Angeles. You legitimately cut this millions out in Seattle and Portland, and you wonder why chaos has reigned supreme and innocent people are being victimized. And now you want to refund the police. Amazing. This is so forecastable. Nostradamus would have said, this is too easy. I don't need to look over at Hillside. Here's NBC pretending to be surprised. In Burlington, Vermont, roll call looks a little different than it used to. I know it was a long night. Often just five officers are on shift for a city of more than 44,000 after Burlington's leaders cut the police force by nearly 30 percent, essentially imposing a hiring freeze. With fewer officers, some routine patrols stopped altogether. They're just not there. Mark Bouchette and his family have owned this home goods store for 35 years. He says the police couldn't respond quickly to disturbances, prioritizing more serious calls. He and his staff felt their absence. They said, we don't feel safe in the evenings. In Burlington, Vermont. In Burlington, Vermont. I don't know, Mr. Handsoff, Senator Bernie Sanders, the all-powerful one. Don't you think it's time for a change in Vermont? If Vermont can't be safe, what chance do you have in Oakland? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer. All lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Cut 10. 
We're in a situation that I think nobody wanted us to get to. In other words, there are some unintended consequences. Oh, absolutely. The department hired social workers to handle mental health calls and other community issues. I will never betray my badge. My now, Chief John Murad is working to rebuild his ranks. Ultimately, we don't want to defund. We want to fund. Good policing is expensive. I think that that has ultimately proven to be a grand experiment on a national and local level that's gone awry. No kidding. Who thought it was a good idea to send the cops home, hand in their badge, defund them, defame them, no longer give them the power, let them know that if they step one step out of line, they're going to be not only fired but jailed, and you wonder why all hell is broken loose on streets, big and small, from Vermont to Virginia. When we come back, Governor Mike Huckabee, on what this means for the Republican Party that is pro-crime, is pro-law and order, before it was cool, now it's necessary. Thanks for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. See you tonight in Nashville. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hoping you can clear something up here when it comes to the question of 2024. Uh, the vice president did an interview with the Wall Street Journal, and she was asked if she assumed that Biden would run again. And she didn't say yes. She just said that the two of them hadn't talked about it. Of course, you all and the president himself has said that he does plan to seek re-election. So what's the disconnect here? Well, I mean, I can't speak to a conversation that the vice president and the president has. I could only say what and reiterate what Jen has said and what the president has said himself, that he is planning to run for re-election in 2024. I I don't have any more to add. But but just to be clear, when the president says he plans to run again, he he means with Harris on the ticket. Yes. He does. There's no change. Yes. Yes. I've never heard of an easier question to a sitting vice president than do you plan on running for re-election? And she says we don't talk about it. It doesn't come up. So I don't know. Governor Mike Huckabee knows difficult questions, difficult times. The presidential candidate, governor of Arkansas, now the host of his own show, Huckabee, on TBN, which I'm going to be taping tonight. I'm happy to be going to Nashville. Uh, Governor, welcome. I got to ask you before we... Uh, just your reaction to this vice president not being able to answer the simplest question from the Wall Street Journal. It's pretty apparent, Brian, that uh, she's been shut out of virtually everything. I think she's been walled off into her own little kingdom. Uh, they don't want to talk to her. They don't want to really give her any information. She's not brought in on the big decisions. It's the worst place for a vice president to be. Somebody has said that a vice president's like a lieutenant governor. I've been one of those. And it's basically like being a spare tire. They just put you in the trunk, keep you in the dark, uh, but keep you all pumped up in case they ever need you. And that's pretty much what's happened to Kamala Harris. She is uh, in the dark, all pumped up, uh, but they hope they don't need her. Because if there was a flat tire like we've got with Joe Biden, the tire would only be flatter if Kamala Harris were called into duty. Governor, I think that was right in the 80s. But when I think about Dick Cheney, when I thought about how active Al Gore was, you saw how you know how vital Mike Pence was, especially with a businessman president. And then you see Joe Biden got a lot of things. Joe Biden was in charge of the stimulus package. Joe Biden did the border, obviously the controversy with the Ukraine. No one could say he didn't have a lot to do. You might not have liked the job he did, 
But in today's, the vice president has been utilized, especially one in her 50s with a president in his 80s. Well, it would make sense to pick a person that you had the kind of confidence in and you could use them in an effective role. But let's face it, he picked her not because he thought she was competent. He picked her because he had already committed that he would pick a person of color who was female. So he had to check the boxes. And I guess, uh, you know, he didn't find somebody other than Kamala Harris who met those criteria, which is just amazing. But that's what we're dealing with in identity politics. It's not about competence. It's not about can you do the job? What can you bring to the table, add to the ticket, do to make the administration better? It's do we look like we're pretending diversity when, in fact, all we're doing is is just projecting our own sense of inadequacy on the rest of the country, but saying, hey, by golly, we have a female and we have a person of color, and therefore it's got to be wonderful. Governor, it's it's pretty amazing that this administration, even if you don't agree with their policies, they have so much experience. You'd expect them to get their trains to run on time, but you might not like the direction the trains would go. But we're not even seeing that. We're seeing comments where, uh, okay, um, inflation is transitory. Uh, we uh, we going to uh, we're not going to defund the police, but we're going to uh, empower Black Lives Matter. We're going to go to see Jacob Blake. We're not going to go see any of the, the shop owners that got their uh, shops burned down. So we, we see all this stuff take place. And now we're watching crime run rampant in the major cities. How did they not well, see this coming? Because you cannot get elected and not provide law and order. You know that. Democrats know that. What happened? Ultimately, people elect you because they think you can do a job that will make their lives better, not because you're going to be into symbolism. But this administration has embraced symbolism over substance. I mean, look at how difficult it must be to walk to the podium of the White House and to tell everybody that the Afghanistan withdrawal was absolutely wonderful. Or to be able to say that you're in total control of the southern border. Or that the inflation is just a temporary thing, but it's, it's doing great. And, hey, even though gas prices are up nearly $2 a gallon, they're down $0.07. Cents, so, boy, we're doing great on the energy front. People aren't stupid. And everybody who goes to the grocery store and sees that their groceries are 5 to 20 percent more than they were a year ago, when they pump gas and know that it's still costing them 20 to 25 dollars per tank more than it did a year ago, you don't have to try to convince them uh, that Joe Biden right. is, is doing a great job. And that's the problem this White House has. They don't understand the difference between a message and a meaningful improvement for the lives of American people. I mean, remember they were going to pay the the separated the alleged separated kids from their parents four hundred fifty thousand dollars, and when it was brought up to the president, he said that's that's garbage. Then he said, of course they're they're supposed to get it. Now yesterday they ruled they're not going to do it. I mean, this is stuff. This is Keystone Cop stuff. Listen to Nancy Pelosi. Tell me if you buy that she's actually befuddled about crime in America. Cut twenty one. It has to be stopped. And again, showing that people were not being able to profit from that. This isn't like somebody stealing something to go home because they don't have the money to buy. This is about stealing for profit. They have to prove where, where, where it came from. It's outrageous, and it must, as I agree with the mayor, it must be stopped. And it's not just San Francisco. It, it's, in, it's in our entire country. Is she really coming to this conclusion? You know, I think she's uh, completely... Uh, 
incapable of understanding what's going on because okay. she lives in a world like the rest of America. She lives in a, in a walled environment, not only in San Francisco when she's home, but she lives in a very walled and protected environment in Washington. She's not worried about a carjacking. She's not worried about having her purse stolen. She's not worried about anything. She has somebody pushing the elevator uh, floor for her. She doesn't even have to remember where she's going. Somebody's walking in front of her and behind her. All she's got to do is just show up, and even then she has trouble getting her words out. But, Brian, this is the problem with Washington. Too many people have lived their major adult lives there. They don't understand the rest of America, and even the people they rub shoulders with are the high-dollar donors at some Georgetown cocktail party who are as oblivious about the realities of America as Nancy Pelosi is. So it's a couple of things. If you if you were China, Iran, or Russia, our greatest enemies, you could not have designed a more potent offense against America. First, you take uh, you remove law and order from the streets. Then you ripple at the you rip at you take swipes at America's foundation and our history in real time. Question everything. Start taking down statues and rewriting history books. You rolled out a history series for kids, right? Right. It's called Learn Our History, and it's basically to help uh, give parents a resource so that their kids can learn about American history. It's, it's not a revisionist history, but it's an honest history. We have our flaws. But the point is America is a remarkable miracle in the great family of nations throughout civilization. And there's never been a country like us. We are constantly improving. And we don't want kids growing up thinking that America is evil and racist. We want them to understand that the big picture is that we are moving toward a more perfect union. We're not perfect yet, but we're a lot better than we were, and we're still a lot better than any other nation on earth. And that's why so many people are lined up at our borders to get in. But, Brian, there's not a soul lined up at the border to get out because they hate this country so much. It's just the elites who seem to hate America. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to be on your show tonight. You're kind enough to invite me, and I appreciate it. Uh, your TBN show, it's an unbelievable facility you have, and you're a fantastic host. But with the president of Freedom Fighter, with this tour more than Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, or Andrew Jackson, I'm talking about race all the time. And that flies in the face of what they're saying. They, if you criticize critical race theory and the ridiculousness of the 1619 Project, they say, well, you're a white guy trying to whitewash, pun intended, American history. No, I'm not. Nobody makes apologies for uh, – no one makes excuses for slavery. But it was all around the world. America's original sin. We fought a war to get rid of it, and these two great Americans emerged from it to lead us through it. I'm hoping that people will begin to wake up, and I think they are. What we're seeing in school board meetings and city councils and people who are running for office who have never thought about it before are great signs that the uh, extraordinary great unwashed of America have decided that they're going to show up and get in the battle. And that's the best news we have to take our country back. And you were talking about all these things that were going on with China and Russia, and, and I want to add something. Um, Miranda Devine's amazing book called Laptop from Hell really does document that we have an even bigger problem when it comes to China and Russia, and that is that there is an extraordinary mountain of evidence that Joe Biden is a very compromised man when it comes to dealing with China and Russia because of the way that his son, uh, Hunter, has dealt with business interests there and given old big guy, Pop, a cut of the action. 
And, and if there's not a serious look into that and whether or not there is a genuine compromise on the part of the president who has profited from his son's dealings with these companies, uh, countries rather, uh, then we are in real trouble, Brian. We I, really are. I have a theory. You ready for it? I'm ready. Okay. I believe that we'll start seeing, and we're starting a little bit, we'll start seeing the Hunter story on the front page of the New York Times when the Democrats realize he can't do the job. And if he does not move aside on his own, that story will be paid to come out in substance. And we're going to get leaks of the investigation that reportedly is ongoing on the FBI. Nobody has denied these emails are real, including Hunter. But he's been able to skate yeah. with the most transparent story of corruption that I've seen. But if they want him to go, then not only does Twitter apologize, but the Washington Post and New York Times start showing the story. What is your theory on that? That's a great observation. I think you're 100% on target. Uh, it's, it's sad that the media has that kind of power, but they do. And if you had the mainstream media and social media that decided that Joe Biden had to go, for whatever reason, incompetence would be certainly top of the list, uh, then he's toast. It's as simple as that. It's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's just a set the timer because he's going to be out the door. He could not survive the scrutiny uh, that was given to Republicans. Uh, you know, the fact that Donald Trump survived four years of the most intense scrutiny and he had all the levers of government working against him. Uh, it, it's remarkable that he survived. Uh, Joe Biden does not have the confidence. He doesn't have the fight. And he doesn't have he's not surrounded by people who actually believe in him and in what he's doing. So uh, if, if all that were to come together, he wouldn't even have to have government agencies working against mm -hmm. him. The social media companies and the mainstream media would take him down. So, Governor, you actually salute with that. I never held office, but yet you are actually really respectful of my conclusion. This is very rare. You're the one with all the experience running for president, running a state. Yet I came up with something that even you were impressed with. Does that surprise you? <laughs> no, Brian, you never surprise me. You're actually one of the smartest people I've ever been around. One <laughs> of the quickest bits and quickest minds. And I'm, I'm not saying that to flatter you, even though I hope it does. Uh, I'm saying it because it's true and because I'm sucking up knowing that you're going to be in my show this weekend. And our, our, actually, New Year's Day, we're taping the show tonight. And I just love hanging around you because I do find you to be uh, one of the most uh, intelligent people. But also, what most people don't know, you may be the hardest working person <laughs> media today. I don't know how you do it, but I admire it. And uh, I think your observation is. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Spot on. Wow. See, Pete, I have a problem when he's that nice to me. I'm, I'm much <laughs> more comfortable when people are not nice, like Gutfeld. So I'm not okay, used I'll to that. You get here today. Right. How's that? Um, so, by the way, the governor's facility uh, and his show, I mean, it really, I've been to the Tonight Show right across the street. The governor, what you've, uh, what you've wrangled and pulled off with that studio and that show is unbelievable. Johnny Carson would would have said, uh, it's nicer than his set, let alone with Jimmy Fallon's dealing with in New York. 
Uh, it's going to be great. So I will tape today uh, on TBN uh, this afternoon. I'll bring my A game, I promise. Well, you need to. And by the way, you know who our musical guest is for the New Year's show? Nope. Penners. And I'm telling you, wow. it will rock. We actually taped them last night. Uh, and it's you know one of these things when you're doing a holiday taping, you doing it in pieces. But they're going to be the music act for the show that you're in. And uh, it's spectacular. So you're going to have a great time. Uh, you'll have a lot of fun. But more importantly, Right. Uh, our audience will show you love tonight that you don't get in New York City. That, <laughs> <I promise. laughs> That's so funny. But by the way, it's so good, <laughs> such a relief to know I don't have to sing and dance. I could just talk. Governor, yeah, uh, Mike, Mike Huckabee, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Take All right. one 408 I'll be back with you calls. you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. What we're seeing is this massive new wave of fear that is fueling our second pandemic after COVID-19, which is a pandemic of lunacy, which is Omicron. Now, I call it Omicold. If you look at the epidemiological data, the epicenter is now way down from Omicron. The hospitals had some hospitalizations, not much. They were short. They averaged two and a half days instead of eight days. But a study just came out of the University of Hong Kong telling us that Omicron does not invade the lung tissue. That's deep in the respiratory tract. It stays superficial in the nose and bronchus. So that's why we're seeing a common cold-like illness. That's why I call it Omicold. Yes, and I thought that was pretty clear that it wasn't serious, but the numbers are going up, of course. I will tell you flat out, I'm not a doctor. I don't know, but I'm just astounded how these doctors contradict each other, how the CDC is doing nothing except for rubber stamping, it seems, what Pfizer and Moderna are doing. And then, Dr. McCarty, one thing I worry about is these young athletes, very fit college players, high school players, who are forced to take the vaccine and suddenly have these uh, these new heart issues. And listen to what Dr. McCarty says is happening in Europe. Cut five. We're talking about Dr. Fauci, does he? Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. You read the studies. A new study just came out in Nature Medicine yesterday showing that with the vaccines, particularly Moderna, the rates of myocarditis are way higher than we thought. They're way higher than myocarditis you get from the infection. And the cardiologists are very concerned. And actually, the the European Union does not recommend um, Moderna for people under age 30. Imagine that. It's huge. I mean, that is huge. If, if that came out and was not put into play in America, as all these college kids are now 
not only forced to get vaccinated, let alone the college athletes, now they got to get boosted. Can someone please explain this study to a young kid, male or female, in college who feels totally healthy but just wants to be able to go on campus and, and go to restaurants and go to bars and go to games? Can you please disseminate that study, please? That's what Anthony Fauci should be doing. You want to call a press conference to say, I'm a little concerned. Um, now they said yesterday it came out, and then today it was in my notes. Johnson & Johnson, third choice. If you got a choice, go Pfizer or Moderna. Really? Now that's a reason for Anthony Fauci to get on television. Not to go on television and hope he gets that question about Johnson & Johnson. The guy doesn't do any studies. And that's just it. And when they admit they're wrong from surface areas to the way it spreads outside, it's almost impossible. They never say, okay, we learned this and let's move forward. They just want you to move forward and not remember when they were wrong. I remember. Uh, Thanks so much for listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeadeshow.com or to the podcast if you ever miss it. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's going to be an all-lady hour. Rachel Campos-Duffy getting set to host Fox & Friends Weekend, her book's number one on the New York Times list, uh, The All-American Christmas. Knocked the 1619 Project out of the top spot. That is awesome. Carly Shimkus at the bottom of the hour. I don't know what I'm going to talk to her about. She does Fox & Friends first over the weekend. Then she does updates on Fox & Friends and does about everything. So Carly Shimkus will be here, too. And I promise to weave in you calls as we come to you from New York, Heard around the country, heard around the world. New York, by the way, in the eye of the storm. We were supposed to get a new mayor. He says he's a common-sense Democrat. My fingers are crossed. We can't take any more knuckleheads. I don't think the city can survive. And this governor, so oppressive, I'm going to play some cuts that make me feel that Governor Cuomo might have been the good old days. Ethics issues aside, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I could only say what the president has said himself, that he is planning to run for re-election in 2024. I, I don't have any more to add. But, to but just to be clear, when the president says he plans to run again, he, he means with Harris on the ticket. Yes, he does. There's no change. Yes. Yes. Another jaw-dropping bad answer from Vice President Harris as more and more political pundits question whether Joe is up for the job and even talks to the women to look to ascend to the job, and that doesn't end up well. What is going on with that ticket? Number two. In Burlington, Vermont, often just five officers are on shifts for a city of more than 44,000 after Burlington's leaders cut the police force by nearly 30%. We're in a situation that I think nobody wanted us to get to. In other words, there are some unintended consequences. Oh, absolutely. Crime is so bad, even lefty left Dems are taking notice as defund has morphed into refund the cops. We will share the stats and let you know why just paying for more law enforcement will not do much until we put the hammer back in the hands of the DAs. Number one. For unvaccinated, we are looking at a winter of severe illness and death for unvaccinated. But there's good news. If you're vaccinated, you have your booster shot, you're protected from severe illness and death. Stop helping. Hey, governors, 
as another COVID wave crashes stateside. Please channel DeSantis and not de Blasio and let us handle it from here. Instead, we got mandates, booster madness, better not lead to another lockdown. We'll bring you the latest. And here's what's going on. And listen, we're all in the same boat, but the way we react to it defines who you are. And if you do not want to go to work and can work it out with your boss, I will not judge you. If you want to get on a plane and you want to get on a subway and wear a mask, I don't judge you. If you want to get vaccinated, that is up to you. Whether you uh, the unvaccinated spread this virus more than the vaccinated, I don't think that study's been clear. I see people all over the map. But now we're seeing governor, like this new governor who's trying to prove she belongs, uh, over trying. And now she's going to say the booster makes you fully vaccinated. Now she says mass mandate for the entire state. I know the number's going up. But the way Florida and Texas have handled it, it shows it doesn't matter what you do. There are some basic things we should do. Personal responsibility helps that person stay healthy the best possible. You know if you're old. You know if you're overweight. You know if you have underlying conditions. Please, I don't want a politician taking care of me anymore. Listen to Governor Kathy Hochul. Cut to. At some point, we may have to determine that fully vaccinated means boosted as well. And we'll give people the sufficient time frame to make that happen. But I'm just sending out the message now. Prepare for that. Uh, We'll get more data. I'm not going to sit here and make up a new policy on that front without uh, having it more thought out, but we'll present that probably very shortly. What's more thought out? Are you going to tell me about the durability of the virus, comparing it to the natural immunity? Cut three. I have said all along I have two two missions. One is to protect the health of the people of New York. The second is to protect the health of the economy. Right now we can do both. And to the extent that businesses follow what we ask them, only allow in people who are vaccinated. Okay. Uh, That will show up as just pure folly, like California and New York loves doing it. Florida doesn't ask. They have inspectors wasting our taxpayer money flooding in trying to catch the 18-year-old hostess um, who let somebody with a vaccine card, without a vaccine card, uh, eat with their other uh, cohorts, friends, and family. Uh, It has really created so much division in the country, totally unnecessarily, mandate mania. Now it's uh, boosterism. That's the big story today. Nobody knows about Omicron, but I know this. Nobody has said it gives you serious symptoms. Nobody has died. If he is, the numbers are so small compared to the amount of people that have been exposed to it. They say it spreads 70 times faster. Understood. But you know what the epidemiologists also say? It's a good sign. Because it shows the virus is getting less and less lethal, even if it spreads easier. And if I have a cold, and if I have a runny nose, I call that Wednesday or Thursday. And it could be allergies. And in the past, we would have gone through with this and not worried about this. But now we got a quick get a test. You get a positive case. You contact trace. Next thing you got seven people uh, off the grid. Congressman Michael Waltz. On the other casualty, the military, we lost 27 Air Force men and women on Monday. And now we lost about 100 Marines because they didn't want to get vaccinated. Some have natural immunity. Some they don't buy the religious excuse and exemption. Cut six. The the part of the military I'm most worried about is actually the National Guard, also on the front line of COVID for the last uh, for the last two years, they're sitting, you know, their COVID, their vaccine rate is in the 60s. So are we really going to let go and discharge 
a third of our entire National Guard, tens of thousands of soldiers, because they have less than a 1% chance of a fatality. Uh, and particularly when the average age of the National Guard and the, and the Army writ large is 27 years old, that has even a lower chance. Listen, I know the numbers are going up. I also know that we have very little to do with it. I mean, look at what Florida, everyone loved beating up on Florida. What is Governor DeSantis doing? Florida is one or two with the least cases. Now, I don't give him any more credit today than I did two months ago because we live in a free country. We are are intelligent people. If you're the CEO of a company, you make your policy. When it comes to school, I weigh whether my 7-year-old, my 17-year-old should go with or without a mask. Enough. Go it all. Enough. If they're dealing with leukemia coming back and they're 17 years old, I wouldn't put them in 11th grade. It's a little bit too risky. But if they're not, and I hope everybody is clear, if you have a, a, a kid that's healthy, stay healthy. The best thing you could do is work out, stay, on, stay fit, take vitamin D, take zinc, take vitamin B. Now, Dr. Joseph Ladapo is the Florida Surgeon General. Tell me if you have a problem with this philosophy, cut seven. We've made vaccines widely available. We prioritize seniors. We've stepped away from mandates. They only have brought division and just really increased the politicization of the pandemic. And he's made monoclonal antibodies available. So early treatment, the idea that, you know, this message that we heard nationally, that you should just go home and wait if you're high risk and contract coronavirus, it's it's terrible medical practice and it's terrible advice. And it resulted in a lot of people dying who didn't need to die. So here, Governor DeSantis led the state in helping create monoclonal antibody sites and encouraging clinicians and people who live in Florida to seek therapy. What is wrong with that? And he's 100% right about the mandates. I, I'm pretty sure you don't want a politician telling you what to do with your kid. But now in New York City, for example, and maybe your city, that kid can't go to the Nutcracker, can't go to Radio City Music Hall, can't go to a, a play that you want your whole family to go to because he or she is not vaccinated, because you feel as though it's okay for you, but you don't want to put your child's health at risk. They depend on you, and you don't feel as though they need it, and you're not comfortable with something so new. I was comfortable enough to do it. My kids are older. They wanted to stay in college. One wanted to stay employed. You wouldn't have had a chance to do that if he didn't didn't go ahead and get vaccinated. I don't love it, but those are the rules. It's private. Don't love it. But we're seeing now is seeing things like, well, the number three choice should really be Johnson & Johnson, uh, and the first one should be Pfizer and Moderna. Really? Well, you got to tell us that. That's what Anthony Fauci should be telling us. Meanwhile, the CDC has, endured, has decided to endorse that then. Now, the Washington Post of all people has called out the FDA. Here's why. The past month, the FDA has authorized booster shots for anyone 16 and older. The Centers for Disease Control also revised its guidance to recommend uh, those shots for everybody. So Krauss and uh, so this, these two authors— also pointed to the outrage that was expressed when President Trump's administration authorized treatment like hydroxychloroquine and covalent plasma for the coronavirus without committee input and said the same standard should be applied to the Biden administration. No kidding. No kidding. We should apply that, they said. 
Although some find it uh, convenient to make policy without their input, the Washington Post says, the long-term consequences will hurt public health. The FDA had previously raised concerns about the risk of myocarditis and pericarditis, inflammation of the heart muscle and surrounding tissue associated with the Pfizer uh, vaccine. So now they were, they were worried about it six months ago, a year ago. They're not worried about it because Pfizer says they're ready with it. That makes people just distrust and say, I stop helping me. When we come back, we'll be joined by Rachel Campos Duffy, brand new book out. She's going to be hosting eight hours this weekend and also hosting our New Year's Eve show. Rachel Campos Duffy uh, will be here. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The mayor does not control the crime problem. The district attorneys are more significant in that uh, uh, situation. And San Francisco, like Chicago, like Boston, like soon to be in New York, Atlanta, every one of these cities that's having problems, uh, take a look at the district attorneys, most of them funded by George Soros and his open society. They are destroying the criminal justice system in America. They are undoing 25 years of crime decline in America. Rapidly, within two last two years, crime increases. Uh, we've not seen anything like it in modern history. So thank the DA. So the mayors can talk all they want. Police chiefs can complain all they want. But if these district attorneys refuse to prosecute, you're not going to see any changes. And that is so true. And maybe the most heralded uh, police commissioner in the country, uh, Commissioner Bill Bratton, said that to Martha during the week. Let me bring in two people who have been all over this crime story, uh, Rachel Campos Duffy and Sean Duffy. Uh, no middle name. He does not want to use it professionally. Uh, they are the author of the All-American Christmas, uh, knocked, uh, knocked the 1619 uh, Project out of the New York Times top spot, number one overall. Welcome, couple. Thank you. And the, his middle name is Patrick. Sean Patrick Duffy uh-huh. doesn't get more Irish than that, right? Yeah, why don't hey, why, Sean, why don't you use that? You know, I should, I should, Brian. I just haven't, I haven't got there yet. I'm not as famous as you and Rachel. Right. That's a, that's a great point. That's a great point. You, you definitely uh, continue to rise. Bill Bratton's right, though, isn't he? You could be as mad as you want as a mayor. Unless the DA is empowered, unless the judges are empowered with, by changing the snow cash bail laws, stop emptying up the prisons, start empowering the cops to do their job, forget, nothing's going to change, right? Sean? Well, so, yes. Yeah, so, so, Brian, I was a prosecutor for 10 years, and the, the, the prosecutorial discretion that DAs have is immense. And so and I think George Soros saw that you can you can try to change laws through legislatures. You can try to change police forces. He realized it's simple to get criminal justice reform cheaper just by changing the DAs who decide not to prosecute crimes or not ask for high, high bail recommendations. And so the success of George Soros's report mindset on on crime has got these DAs in place, and we've seen the consequences. You know, you, you, I mean, our, our, our cities are burning. You, the smash and grabs are through the roof. And I think the benefit of this, though, Brian, is that most Americans will now go, hey, listen, maybe criminal justice reform and bail reform and weak DAs aren't the answer to keep my community safe. Maybe we need to take a little deeper look into who's actually yeah. my, my, my 
prosecutor, and uh, are they going to be tough on crime? And I think people, like on school boards, are going to pay far closer attention. So, Rachel, and it's I, not even Brian, projection. I think, I think that George Soros has blood on his hands, and so does Eric Holder. He's been getting a pass on this. This is a, 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 an effort that Eric Holder and George Soros have been working on together, raising money and donating money to campaigns um, for, for weak prosecutors like this who share their ideological point of view. It's embarrassing. They put Kim Fox, George Gascon, Chesa Boudin, Larry Krasner of Philadelphia all into power, and they're loving this. But Democrats are horrified because they, are, they realize law and order is something that everybody can agree on, including independents. That is why I believe the San Francisco mayor spoke up. They have to at least act like to pretend they care about it or they're going to lose everything. But I do got to ask you about Christmas. You saw, uh, guys, your book, your book is out. It's getting people in the Christmas mood. The fact that it's selling, it shows uh, not only is it a good book with personal stories of Fox anchors and personalities and what some of our tradition. There's a thirst to go back to normal. Rachel, are you concerned after with this latest variant and Joe Biden sitting there all glum yesterday that it's going to be impossible to get back to normal this Christmas? I guess it depends on where you live. I mean, you look at Florida, um, not only are cases down, but their emphasis is on early treatment, something we've been saying forever on TV. What happened to early treatment? Why is that not part of the solution? And why do they just want to pump more fear, fear, fear? I think you're right. I think the reason this book is number one is because people, A, love Christmas in America. B, they want to return to their traditions and the cultural norms um, of, of this country. And they realize we're on a bad path and they're not going to let, you know, people like Fauci and Democrats and their political power grabs mm-hmm. interrupt their family traditions anymore. So many people, I mean, you and I ran into Harris yesterday in the hallway at the studio. Harris Faulkner. Uh, Harris Faulkner. Yes, Harris Faulkner. I mean, her kids didn't get to say she didn't get to say goodbye to her father because of COVID and the lockdowns. And people are saying, you know what? I know what's really important in my life. Nothing is more important yep. than my family and, and, and our faith. And I think those are the messages that are coming through in this book. And I think that it's, it's really about that. Sean, now, aside from my story, which I find captivating, um, who, who, is there another story in this book that you would like to share because it's a series of short stories from people that most of our listeners and viewers know. Well, let's, let's we have to be honest, Brian. I mean, yours was the best story for sure. I mean, hands down. So let's, let's not let's not try to undermine how great you are. By the way, you're the only one who ended up as a young child having a war with Santa about the gift that he got or didn't get, um, and how Santa, you know, screwed you one year, but then gave your gift to your brother the next year. Totally unfair, but. Um, by the way, when we tell the story, we're like, these are such heartwarming stories. Nobody talks about the things except that they get at Christmas, except Brian Kilmey. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe it. I got some emails, some hate emails. Why are you focusing on what you didn't get? Why is that a good story? <laughs> so thanks a lot, guys. I love blowback on childhood stories. But the best part of it, though, is you. as, as we read your story when it came in, our, we, our, our stomachs ached. We were laughing so hard. It was such a great story, uh, which you always you always make us laugh. You know, I let, dude, we have a lot of great stories. I mean, I, I do, like, um, uh, so many. But uh, what, what, what's, your, what's your favorite? Well, I mean, I don't have, like, a favorite. They're all like – you guys are all like my children. I love you all the same, and all your stories are wonderful. But I really love Charles Payne's story about, you know, how – he has this tradition in his life, and it, and it 
and it came from just being so grateful about so many things in his life, and especially his mom and the hard hard times that he grew up in as the son of a single mom. And so now at Christmas time, in honor of his mom, he will go and find gotcha. somebody who has presents on layaway, and he'll pay them off and make their that Christmas awesome. brighter. I just think it's beautiful. Rachel Campos, Duffy, Sean Duffy, pick up the All-American Christmas book. Uh, it's it's number one in the country. Don't be last. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So I, as I was waiting for Carly Shimkus to come in here, Pete was saying, no, oh, it's amazing. She's always early. The thing about Carly, she's always early. And the other time, I remember one time she was so early, she came in on the, on the segment before us talking full voice while I'm on the air. And now she comes in. She comes in right when we're about to start. So we couldn't even format something and have a theme. But it's okay. You know what it is, uh, Pete? I think the problem is, ever since she got her own show, like, she's got a staff now. Um, yeah, I didn't meet her demands, I guess. Right, I yeah, she's got a staff, but she counts on them to remind demands. her about I all this. I guess I ignored it. I am so sorry. I was late. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know. You're actually right on time. You're actually right on that, time. Which is late. For you. Yeah. Um, what Somebody once told me, oh, it's some teacher. He was like, if you're... Oh, it was like if you're early, you're on time. If you're if you're on time, you're late, and if you're late, you're dead. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, whoa, wow. okay, calm Sounds down. Sounds like Tom Coughlin. Did you ever play for the Giants? No. <laughs> he was a, he was a gym teacher. The guy who said that to me. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, okay, that's good. Not Tom Coughlin. Right. I am so sorry. I am out of breath. Well, I ran well, down the hallway. A couple of things. I, time escaped me. I had an hour and a half, and then it just. Poof, it's 10.35. Right. And by the way, Carly, you uh, rejected me for the first time. So I asked you, I'm doing the 7 o'clock next week, and I said, Carly, you know, last time, I said, do you want to do the last block? And she said, said, Brian, I got to get up at, uh, I got to be up at 4. I got to be on the air at 4 o'clock. The answer is no. I get up at midnight now. So 7 o'clock is a little late. What time were you normally getting up? Uh, Well, before, so I was always on Fox and Friends first, um, and I was doing it. Something. Yeah, something, every day. Um, that would be like a two o'clock wake up call, and now my alarm goes off at twelve fifteen. Right, and is it enough time? Yeah, you okay. know, if I get up at twelve fifteen, right, a lot of snooze, like, snooze, right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that may have been a little bit of as to why I was late this morning. Uh, has it's it affected your one. nightlife? I don't have what is nightlife. You haven't had it every now and then when I take a day off of work and for some arbitrary reason, and I'll be it's like a Wednesday. Like to see your husband. Yeah. Yeah, like that. I'm like, people actually go to dinner on a Wednesday? What's that like? Right. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, you're like that too, though, Brian. I don't yeah. like to cook. But I, I do like going out to eat. You know why? Because I think as a kid, we never went out to eat. I was so And I, I feel like I'm still overcompensating. Really? Did you eat a lot of cube steak? I feel like that was a thing. Cube steak? Yeah, like tough meat. Bro, yeah. <laughs> it's like this tough. is what. Listen to this. And I, I still don't know if this is right. I got to ask a meat person. But we used to buy cheaper steak and tenderize it by smashing That's it. That's cube steak. That's what it's called? They, yeah, I So think you buy so. cheap steak and then you beat it up. You beat it to death and then it becomes like somewhat edible. Right. Um, I cannot believe that you don't eat meat. No, I haven't had. Uh, Are you a liberal? 
Well, I don't know. Have you heard the show? Is that what you you were still asking? I'm only kidding. So so a couple of things. I just said red meat's hard to metabolize. It takes about five or six days. I was eating it way too much. I went to see a nutritionist, and they did a profile on what I was eating, and they just said, if you can cut back on the meat. And I said, why? And they said what I just said. I said, I could get rid of it. That's fascinating. So what do you eat when you go out to dinner? Um, It depends how much money you have. And I'll just have I'll just keep ordering. Oh, like I'm paying. No, I mean, like I'm, in this scenario, yeah, I'm the, the one that's paying. That's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you. I thought we were. T- Somebody has a few more zeros on the end of their salary, and it's not me. Right. <laughs> Zero is the key number. Uh, but um, I, I will have. I just don't try. I try not to eat fried. Don't ever eat fried. Same. Same thing. Uh, number two is uh, I love chicken. For lunch, usually try to have salad, but I'm somebody, if I have salad for one meal, I cannot have it for two. No, I know. It gets a little dull, right? right. Um, pasta is my weakness. You I think it. I could go without, like if I had to, I, I eat meat and, you know, everything. I'm not a picky eater at all. But like if I, could, I couldn't live without pasta. That's definitely my weakness. Do you have whole wheat pasta? You try to eat? No, just the standard. I mean, if you're going to eat pasta, whole wheat, come on. It's right. Not, yeah, like just do it. I don't really taste the difference. I mean, oh, I really? but whole wheat is supposed to be better. Well, for you. I can taste the difference a little bit, but it's also a mentality thing. You're like, you know that this is garbage. <laughs> it's what? Healthy. Now, yeah. But so for a while, go, go in. Okay, a couple of things. For a while, they were told this pasta is the perfect thing to eat before you exert yourself before a big game before yeah. a big run. That changed. It's well, amazing how much has changed. When I was growing up, it was on the bottom of the food pyramid. Carbs. That was like the thing that you should be eating. Remember the food pyramid, and then fruits and vegetables were right. In that little section underneath um, right. sugars and stuff. But do you have this incredible metabolism that burns? You, Because I've met people like that. I'm wondering if you're one of those people. I, um, yeah, I, I don't, I've never, well, here, the thing with me is that I am this way. Like, if people watch Fox, they know what I look like. Um, I, I can't. Put on any muscle, but I don't really put on any weight. So either. you try, you you grab light weights. I and mean, you try kind to... of sometimes. Yeah, I get it. I mean, like I work out, I go to the gym, but um, I can't do a push up. Like really? I can't even do one. And uh, you know, girl push ups on the knees. That's not you can't really, do that. Not really. Wow. I know. One time I told my husband that he's like, that means that if you were in four inches of water on your stomach, you'd die. <laughs> he's right. like, you can't lift your <laughs> body up. Well, I think that you could build True. up to it. I don't think you necessarily it's, it's either not an either or. There are I things you can do. It. I hate it. That's As I'm doing a push up, I'm like, I would rather be doing anything other than this. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, Should we drop down and try and do some right now? It would make great I, radio. I could, but we both lead the microphone. <laughs> I I don't have uh, much of a problem doing push ups, but I was I was thinking about. Let me see. What could we do that would be a little bit lighter? How about this? Um, Kim Kardashian. Yeah. Did you see her in Saturday Night Live first off? I did, I don't watch Saturday Night Live. I saw the clips that we played. Oh, well, I watched the she's, opening. She's Most of the cold opening are absolutely terrible, and they just, you know, they're biased, and it's almost like watching The Daily Show. So, mm-hmm. but I watched her, I go, it's going to be interesting to see her do stage. She was, it was absolutely hysterical. Know, it was so of, well written. Yeah. And she's very comfortable for somebody that, that you know, a lot of people are criticizing on a regular basis, a self made billionaire. Right. People see her as being nothing but fluff. Right. You know, but um, she's got substance to her, and she's very charismatic. Got some people out of prison, doesn't mind President Trump. I mean, they're supposed to be. It's not like she sprung them. <laughs> uh, but she did spring them. I mean, that, I mean, they were. he found out there was problems they with were, the case. They were over-sentenced. Yes. That's a better way to say it. Mm-hmm. If we were live, I'm going to edit that out, my whole thrashing <laughs> leading up to that sentence. 
But then she was ta- on uh, on the Substack uh, on a Substack interview, and she's doing this interview and was asked about cancel culture. Cut forty one. I think cancel culture is the most ridiculous thing. I- I'm always about rehabilitation and freedom of speech. I believe that if we cancel someone for something that they had done or said in their past, then we're not inviting them into the conversation to really understand. This is the Barry Weiss podcast. She's pushing back like Kevin Hart has pushed back, like Bill Maher has pushed back. Uh, you know, some people can't recover. We know that, you know, the Matt Lowers. But the cancel culture on things that were totally acceptable when they were said and going back to people's tweets and statements or high school homework. I know. I'm really impressed by Kim Kardashian. Even the way that she phrased that, it was very eloquent. Like she's, It's well thought out. She's definitely thought about this topic before. I mean, even being invited to do Barry Weiss's podcast is interesting. She just uh, she just uh, passed the bar or like a, a, a level one of the bar. They call it the baby bar, which is kind of weird. But I, I think it's when you're a first-year law student and she's going to do this law thing. I mean, who knew that she had layers? But apparently Kim Kardashian is an onion. And she's not done that yet. Uh, here when she was talking about her husband, Kanye West, who she has apparently gotten over, right? They seem to have turned the page. Yeah. I think right. she's dating Pete Davidson. Yeah. Right. Unique. Right. Women love him. I don't I know. And are you one? Well, I don't know him, so I can't say that I love him because I. But do you see the attraction? He's very pale. He's thin. (laughs) I well, here's the thing. I weirdly do. You are attracted to him. I I'm not attracted to him, but I think it's just a personality thing. He's got the good personality. Yeah, like somebody that. There are other comedians out there with better builds. I know, but you know, have you ever met a guy? Brian, and you just go, you know what? He may not be the most attractive person in the room, but his personality more than makes up for it. Not really. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Here is more on her talking about her ex-husband. Cut 43. I didn't want him to wear the red (laughs) hat. I'm, I'm not really a rule breaker. I'm very neutral, but I was very, that night, I was very forceful with him and arguing with him about, you know, you have to take that hat off. And now looking back, I thought, why should he take that off if that's what he believes in? Why can't he wear that on TV? Half of the country voted for him. Mm-hmm. So clearly other people like him. And that was to Barry Weiss, who got fired basically from uh, from the New York yeah. Times, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And she had Substack, and it seems to be going extremely well, where people can write whatever they want, and you get paid by the clicks. Yeah. And I think Kim Kardashian's perspective was probably, um, I want to protect you from, you know, our circle Critics. in Hollywood. And all, and now she's saying, why, why would I do that? She's absolutely right. Half the country did vote for Trump. Uh, so, it, you know, then the other, the haters who, everybody's so politically outspoken now. Why can't he? Why can't uh, Kanye West be? Uh, politically outspoken if he likes Trump. Right. Now, we're going to take a break. Are you going to stay here or? I would love to. You don't have to take a nap or anything. No, I want to. Okay. Because now, Eric, this will be good because we could prepare for this segment now that we know she's definitely going to show up. Carly Shimkus, back in a moment. (laughs) Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. 
Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. You've got 48 people in the Democratic caucus who are prepared, and a president of the United States prepared to think big. And you have two Democrats who, in my view, are kind of acting like Republicans. And uh, to me, I respect other people's points of view, but I do not respect the arrogance of any member of the Senate who says, you know what, I'm going to torpedo this entire bill, supported overwhelmingly by the American people. And you got two people who say, you know what, hey, if you don't do it my way, I don't care what the president wants, I don't care what 48 of my colleagues want, it's my way or the highway. And that I regard as arrogance. Senator Bernie Sanders, who is a party of one socialist who uh, caucuses with Democrats and has really helped ruin so far the first year of the Biden presidency by jamming this. And she he leads the squad. He's there. He's their godfather in leading this push through the wild left, the, the reconciliation package. And what he's referring to, Carly Shimkus, is the fact that Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema are saying, I'm not going to blow up the filibuster to get election reform, and I'm not going to go on with this reconciliation package because the $1.9 trillion or the $2.2 trillion is actually, over the course of 10 years, more like $4.5 yeah. What is he? Do you have a problem? You haven't heard that, so no. I want you to hear well, it. Well, I, like, I just like his righteous indignation over— uh, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema listening to their constituents. I mean, yeah. like, do you know how politics works? And then he also said that um, um, that this Build Back Better plan is um, overwhelmingly popular. I brought the Fox Business poll numbers down right here. Biden's social spending plan would hurt the economy. Forty-two percent said yes. Yeah. That's a plurality of people. Everybody else said either it would help the economy or make no difference. Um, so, yeah, I don't I mean, Bernie Sanders can you know, scream into the wind all he wants. But I think that uh, J- Joe Manchin is set in his ways. He knows what he's how he's going to vote. It's going to be a no. Curly, I don't have the numbers, but I am sure Manchin is speaking for a lot of people in the Democratic Party. I'm sure he's taking the bullets for a lot of them. He doesn't really mind doing it because it makes him look good in West Virginia and he believes what he's doing. But I think there's a lot of people go, this makes no sense. I don't really want to green the economy. The, the technology is not there. Yeah. This whole – they're going to put $86 billion into the IRS. They're going to have a green militia running around trying to find different ways in which I guess carbon is getting into the atmosphere, probably slaughtering cows on the side because they create methane. This whole thing is unnecessary. Yeah, but it's more than just about climate change. It's also um, – uh, we just we're currently in it right now. I mean, you walk around New York City and it looks like it's March 2020. Everybody's wearing a mask again because of, outdoors of the government. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and that's because there are, are these mask mandates that once came down again. And I think that people are fundamentally rejecting big government right now. And that's what Build Back Better is. It injects government into everybody's life. And you know, President Biden, I think he thought it would be more popular because he's painting it as we're going to give people more money. And you'd think that people would go along with it. But people are also smart and realize that there's no such thing as free money. If you're going to give people money in one way, taxes are going to be raised in another. And I think that a lot of people just want government to go away in every other arena but fighting crime. And that's the one area that the Biden administration, not the one area, but one major area where they're not acting at all. So what's interesting is we know defund, defame the police. We were outraged. You and I were outraged, like many people on this channel. This was taking place after the George Floyd death. And then, really, you're reimagining police. You're taking a billion dollars out of the New York budget, budget, tens of millions out of the Los Angeles budget. And then you 
watch these liberal DAs emptying the prisons and not and not putting people in there. Mm-hmm. So listen to NBC. Honestly, speculate. They seem befuddled about the fact that we're experiencing this surge. Cut nine. In Burlington, in Vermont. Vermont, roll call looks a little different than it used to. Night. I know it was a long night. Often just five officers are on shift for a city of more than 44,000 after Burlington's leaders cut the police force by nearly 30 percent, essentially imposing a hiring freeze. With fewer officers, some routine patrols stopped altogether. They're just not there. Mark Bouchette and his family have owned this home goods store for 35 years. He says the police couldn't respond quickly to disturbances, prioritizing more serious calls. He and his staff felt their absence. They said, we don't feel safe in the evenings. In and that, Burlington, Vermont. In Burlington, Vermont. That's wild. Right. And she was right to say, in Burlington, Vermont? I, I On Fox & Friends first this morning... I did two interviews. One of them was a um, a daughter of um, a jewelry owner, a woman who owns this jewelry, jewelry kiosk in the mall in, in San Diego. And there, it was a smash and grab situation. Uh, two guys come up with hammers, um, smash the case open in the middle of the broad daylight in a mall. And so the woman takes a chair. You've probably seen the video and starts trying to hit the, the robbers to uh, make them go away. And then the daughter was saying, I asked the daughter, I said, you know, I'm sure that you've seen that this smash and grab trend is happening. Did you ever think this would happen to you? And she said, point blank. Oh yeah. We knew that it was going to happen because it was happening to everybody else like us. Like this is just like a foregone conclusion now that small business owners are having to deal with it. The other interview that I did that breaks my heart and I'll remember it forever is this 23-year-old girl. She was on the cover of the New York Post yesterday. Um, and she was in... From Thailand, right? Yeah, she was uh, an aspiring model. Just moved here from Thailand. Sweet girl, 23 years old. She was in a subway at 4 o'clock in the morning. Coming Video home exists, from a concert. by the way. Yeah. And um, a guy just comes up from behind, beats her, steals her stuff. They say that she, they, she also got sexually assaulted. I didn't want to ask her about that. but um, And then ran away. And um, she is speaking out now, timid, shy girl. From July, she, right? I think this happened in September. Oh, September, okay. Um, because she, they haven't caught the guy yet, and she wants to draw attention to this. And I pray that with this attention that they will find him because this guy's still out there. Yeah, and, I, and you see her just on the subway doing something. I do that every day. I know. You walk into an area and you just... She gets grabbed and dragged. I know. So and beat up pretty Everybody good. that's watching that lives in a city or not, just be careful right now because you never know. Right. Crowley Shimkus, uh, I know one thing. It's always great talking to you. Thank you for having me. All right. Do you have the weekend off? I'll be more on time next time. And nope. yes, I do. All right. Good. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> Thank you. And party like it's like you didn't have the morning show. <laughs> All right? I'll party like it's 2021. Good. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Happy to be coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Shannon Bream and Lee Steinberg. I want to talk to Lee Steinberg, uh, the, uh, the world's premier agent, uh, who mostly football, almost all football guys, uh, just about these college athletes. Now that they can make some money, I'm seeing on the cover of Newsday, my local newspaper here in New York, 
uh, high school athletes are making money. And you're allowed to do that now. So if I want to get Trevor Lawrence to my team, and he's a high school senior now, he's uh, the Jaguars' number one pick overall, do I say, I'll meet you at the airport? I want you to meet the owner of a dealership. And that dealership will now be a sponsor of yours while you go to school and start for my squad. How is it working? We're about six months in. Lee Sternberg about that. Shannon Bream about everything that's uh, taking place as uh, the president has a grim outlook on this holiday season about the coronavirus. This is Now It Is Time for the Big Three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I could only say what the president has said himself, that he is planning to run for re-election in 2024. I, I don't have any more to add. But, to but just be clear, when the president says he plans to run again, he, he means with Harris on the ticket? Yes, he does. There's no change. Yes. Yes. Uh, I don't know what's funny about that because she didn't say that. Another jaw-dropping bad answer for VP Harris as more and more political pundits question whether Joe or her is up for this job. And will they even be a ticket in 2024? Number two. In Burlington, Vermont, often just five officers are on shifts for a city of more than 44,000 after Burlington's leaders cut the police force by nearly 30%. We're in a situation that I think nobody wanted us to get to. In other words, there are some unintended consequences. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, it's so bad, even lefty Dems are taking notice as to fund has morphed into refund the cops. We will share the stats and let you know why just paying for more law enforcement will not do much. They need to put the hammer back in the hands of legitimate DAs. Number one. For unvaccinated, we are looking at a winter of severe illness and death for unvaccinated. But there's good news. If you're vaccinated, you have your booster shot, You're protected from severe illness and death. (laughs) Stop helping us. Hey, governors, president, as another COVID wave crashes stateside, please channel DeSantis and not de Blasio and let us handle it from here. Instead, here come the mandates. The booster madness better not lead to more lockdowns. We'll bring you the latest. It brings up too much consternation and anger. Shannon Bream joins us now, the author of The Women of the Bible Speak. Shannon, welcome back. I know you're going to host your show tonight at 12, but first things first. How do you feel about the term stop helping us? Well, listen, um, you think about uh, it, it makes me think back to President Reagan and his whole thing was that, you know, you don't want people showing up at your door saying, I'm the government and I'm here to help you. Um, the thing about Americans is they're very independent. They want to figure things out for themselves. And it's been interesting that we have 50 laboratories of democracy, all the different states, and you can look at them and see the different mitigation measures they've tried, mandates, no mandates, mask, no mask. Uh, and it gives us a lot of information for how things are working when people um, either are able to make their own decisions or the government makes the decisions for them. Right. Uh, Shannon, uh, how is the Omicron treating you? Well, uh, luckily it has not shown up in the Bream House so far. Um, but here's the thing. We uh, travel almost every weekend like you do. I know you've been on your book tour, and I love seeing all your pictures and your videos of the wonderful people that you're meeting out there. Yes. Yeah, so, by we- the way, if you want to join me, I'll be in Nashville tonight at the oh. Redneck Riviera, the 815 uh, I'll be there with John Rich, who hosts a show on our channel called The Pursuit. So fun. So fun. I wish I could. I'll be working. Oh, but it, I'll be there in spirit. Okay. But you know, because you're out on the road and in all these different cities, that it almost feels like we have two different countries. I mean, I live and work here in the D.C. area. And, um, you know, it's really strict. Masks are back and mandates and all that kind of stuff. Um, and when we work in New York. Uh, but you go for the weekend. I, I mean, the last few weekends, I've been in Orange County. I've been in Pittsburgh. I've been in Nashville. 
and people have moved on uh, there. there. I spot almost zero people wearing masks. People are not talking about COVID. They're not frightened. Um, for whatever reason, they've made the calculations that either they've had it or they're, they're taking precautions or they're vaccinated. They've moved on in a lot of the country. So I want to read to you what Dr. Siegel just wrote me. So I'm asking about the variant. I don't see anyone saying they've more than a low-grade fever and a runny nose. He said, even among hospitalized patients, cases seem to be milder than a previous waves, said the head of research in South Africa National Institute for Communicable Diseases. Uh, for the first time, tell Bloomberg this, right, by the way, for the first time, there are more non-severe than severe patients in the hospital. We have seen a decrease in proportion of people who need to be oxygen, who need to get oxygen. They are at very low levels. Deaths are following suit and staying low, 0.4%. Listen, I don't want anyone to drown, zero, but I'm still going to swim. I need to travel, go out to eat, uh, hop in my car, you know, whatever it is. We got to stop the lockdowns. How do you change the mindset when the leader at the top keeps talking about, keeps talking about mandates and demands? How do you mm-hmm. do that? This country's going to, you talk about divided. This is a self, self-inflicted mm-hmm. division. Yeah, this definitely feels like one of those things that's also driving another wedge in people who view the government in two very different ways uh, and what they expect the federal government to do or not do in their lives. And like I said, being here in D.C., um, you know, even in stores and places where it's optional to wear a mask, um, you know, over on the Virginia side of the river, I find that there are very few people who are taking uh, the opportunity to take off their mask. People, I think, are still very fearful. And, um, you know, the message that they hear is it's not safe for them and that the mask will make them safer. So, um, you know, but like I said, the minute I get out of sort of the Beltway bubble and and you head out into the rest of the country, um, people are much more um, willing to sort of take their freedom and take their calculated risks and move on. I'm one of them. So Kamala Harris sits down with the Wall Street Journal and she's asked a simple question. You know, do you plan on running for reelection with Joe Biden? She can't answer. I haven't really talked about it with him. What is going on with this woman? Is she is the worst candidate ever? Is there a bigger layup in a wide open court with no defense and no fans? I mean, what is going on with that? The answer to that question. Do you think if I asked Mike Pence that year one or Al Gore that year one or Dick Cheney that year one, he would have trouble answering that? It is very odd. But there's been a ton of speculation about them running, so I feel like they have to have an answer ready. I mean, if you know the question is coming, you got to be prepared for it. And whether you want to evade it or meet it head on, like, you've thought through it, right? I mean, they've had these discussions, and so I feel like it's something that you would be ready to tackle. Um, it is such an, an odd thing. Um, but listen, he's not a spring chicken, and there's been tons of speculation about how far he goes, um, whether he does the second term of presidency. Um, but knowing that it's the speculation out there, they need a pat answer ready to go. They really do. But remember, in the primaries, she was not doing well. I think that for the for President Biden, she made an interesting ticket and, and a historic ticket, and that's always exciting, and that motivates voters a lot of times. But, I mean, she just could not get any traction. She was getting beat in her home state of California by multiple other candidates who were not from California. But, um, so she, she never was on her own, didn't seem to have strong appeal to American voters. You are so nice and deferential. Shannon, uh, there's, there's one consistency <laughs> between the vice president's staff and, and candidate Harris's staff. They all turned on each other. They turned on each other. They either quit, resign, or end up in scandal. And that's why she didn't last one primary. She had a ton of money. But the people mm-hmm. below her hate her. Evidently, she does not read her briefing books. And then when she blows up in an interview, she blames people. 
Here's the quote. I'm not going to talk about our conversations, but I'll tell you this without any ambiguity. We do not talk about it, nor have we talked about reelection because we haven't completed our first year in the middle of a pandemic. I got news for you. He talked about his reelection. Jen Psaki talked about his reelection. He should talk about his reelection. What is going on here? I want you to hear what Molly Hemingway said. Cut 23. The problems that Democrats are saying about Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, obviously they're struggling in the polls, they're deeply unpopular, but I don't think they're particularly unlikable candidates. The reason why they're unpopular is a Democratic Party-wide issue. It's the policies. Yes, it's partly that we were told that Joe Biden would be a uniter and a moderate, and he's governed as anything else but that, but the entire Democratic Party shares his views on rolling back what was working on the border or destroying the, the pipeline so that our gas prices go up or putting trillions of dollars into the economy and having inflation and and costs rise. All of these things aren't unique to Joe Biden or Kamala Harris. In some regard, it might even be worse when you go to, you know, outside that field. And so Democrats need to really be honest about why they're unpopular. So she was uh, somewhat deferential, too. But to me, uh, Shannon, when you said you have to have an answer ready to me that, you know, you just have to breathe. I mean, if someone says you're going to run again, they all want to run again. Donald Trump was ready mm-hmm. to run the day he won in 2016. Didn't he file for re-election or yes. file paperwork or something for the yeah. next for the election? I mean, like within seconds of becoming president. Yeah, you would think so that people uh, are on the same page and ready to go. And it, you'll never convince me that she hasn't quote thought about it or had a conversation about it because that would be crazy. Can you give me three people on the left? that you think are presidential, uh, they have that ambition and would be a legitimate candidate to get the nomination? Uh, Who actually want to do it. Um, I think Governor Pritzker, I think he he would be somebody who would want to do it. I think we still have several senators in there who would be interested, like Cory Booker. Um, and, and others like that. I do think um, there's some younger, ambitious guys like the Castro brothers. Maybe they get back in. Um, We'll see. Really? Yeah. Which one? Don't one of the brothers have to make a choice? I mean, yeah, if you're twins, you have to, pick you have to one? arm wrestle over it and make a choice. No, listen, I'm not saying these are people who would want to run. If I, if the president uh, says he's running, I do think if he decides not to run for some reason and uh, the vice president is running, I don't think it's going to be unopposed, which is super awkward and weird. But I think within her party, there are going to be other people who would want a primary as sitting vice president. All right. So I, the last thing I'm going to do is talk to you about the reconciliation package, the Build Back Better. It looks like it's going down in flames, at least for 2021. I don't know what you're hearing, but it looks like Bernie Sanders knows his idea to socialize this country is going up in flames. Listen to this. Cut 29. You've got 48 people in the Democratic caucus who are prepared and a president of the United States prepared to think big. And you have two Democrats who, in my view, are kind of acting like Republicans. And uh, to me, I respect other people's points of view, but I do not respect the arrogance of any member of the Senate who says, you know what, I'm going to torpedo this entire bill supported overwhelmingly by the American people. And you got two people who say, you know what, hey, if you don't do it my way, I don't care what the president wants. I don't care what 48 of my colleagues want. It's my way or the highway. And that I regard as arrogance. Shannon? 
Well, first of all, I love that he is leveling what he thinks is the most horrible insult possible. They're behaving like Republicans. (laughs) Um, He probably can't think of a worse insult for those two. Um, But listen, we've seen this on the other side, too. Republicans often have, you know, one or two people who keep them from getting what they want when they're trying to put something together, too. Um, Listen, you can't – you know what you're dealing with um, with a couple of these senators, Manchin and Sinema. They've been very clear from the beginning what they will and won't do. So if you can't negotiate to that point – Point, um, you're stuck. It numbers matter. Uh, that's what you know. Chad Pergram, our illustrious congressional, um, you know, correspondent and Capitol Hill producer, always says it's all about the math. And if you are struggling, you know, one or two people, those are one or two votes. And when the Senate is that close, every single person, every single vote, literally everyone can make or break every package over there. But what I think they're missing, and Bernie Sanders really doesn't get is that he, they're supposed to represent their state. Mm-hmm. Their state does not want to destroy oil and gas. Their state does not want to raise taxes on horrible rich people, and the corporate tax rate is to keep us competitive internationally, and that's a big difference. And when you exponentiate, when you blow up these numbers past one year, it's $4 trillion. So they don't want, they don't want to go along with something that they can't stomach. And yeah, to and me, the polling, yeah, yeah, don't, the polling don't, out of West Virginia, you know, it shows that people are – they do not think Build Back Better is going to help them. They think it's going to hurt them and hurt their economy at a time when people are struggling. So you're right. I mean, of course, Joe Manchin is going to listen to his people, <laughs> and um, it's clear how they feel about it. And, Janet, it's, it's clear that um, – it's clear I feel very strongly about you. You're a, a fine anchor and a fine person. Is there anything you want to promo about tonight? But I felt like there was a but in there. Oh, there was, but I'll do it in the break. I'm going to talk to Um, my staff about you. You know what? Um, We've got Dr. Norchasm on tonight, who is um, one of the, uh, you know, loudest voices and and thinkers on all of these mandates and um, COVID. And he has been from the beginning. And he is um, really starting to throw warnings up about causing boosters for young people and for college kids who may not need them at all, in his opinion. And he says, you know, you can't ignore that there are actually downsides and potential side effects, and they're actually um, showing up more in younger people. So we're going to talk with him about that in the new mandates. Of course, we're talking about crime. We've got Pastor Jeffress. We've got uh, former officer Brandon Tatum with us. And, uh, you know, polling this week shows that people think the number one issue driving crime is the, is the lack of morality and that we're kind of falling apart on that. So we'll talk to the pastor and the former officer about that. And we've got a couple military things going on, too. All right, great. Uh, the morality thing, present company not, in, not included, right? Well, I mean, you know, take it for what it's worth. Take a look in the mirror. See Thank what you. you can do. I will in the break. Shannon Breen, thanks so much. I appreciate Bye. it. Uh, Lee Steinberg at the bottom of the hour. But guess what? I'm going to I know I promised to, but I'll definitely do it now. one 408 And don't forget, not only will it be in Nashville, on Saturday, I know it said sold out for a while, but we expanded the theater. WHIO listeners, I want to meet you in Dayton. Go to briankilmead.com. Just register, as well as over in Cincinnati right after. Details straight ahead. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The government was literally making it more lucrative for people not to work and stay at home. That is the definition of insanity. Not only do policies like that wreck our economy and close IHOP, 
there's an obvious moral cost to them. What's the message the government is sending here? The message is you'd have to be an idiot to work. So you've got to wonder what damage that message has done to this country's attitudes about work. Well, here's one measure of that damage, potentially. Supplemental unemployment benefits ended this fall. They were so clearly nuts. And yet a lot of people didn't go back to work. In fact, even more Americans quit their jobs. One recent poll found that 73% of Americans are thinking about quitting right now. So Tucker last night was talking about the, the worker participation rate. People want to focus on unemployment. Well, there's 18 or 12 million jobs open, and yet there's even this one person out of a job. I know there could be mismatched skills and opportunities and careers. I know it, welder, you may be not a welder, you're a, a finance guy, a woman. I get it. You don't want to do that. But there are so many people who said, I don't need to work. And I got used to life six months, been told not to work. I don't want to go back to work. So they hurt America at its core, the work ethic that made us the envy of the world. Micro, who's guy Micro works, he gives scholarships to working class people that want to go to a trade school. Cut 34. This is no longer a matter of a skills gap or a few million people unemployed and employers frustrated because of the mismatch of skills. This is a matter of national security, I think, because yes. I think it goes right to our identity as a people. 12 million people quit their jobs in the fall. So you're right to wonder what is going on and is there an explanation that goes beyond money? And the answer is, yeah, yeah. It's, our, it, it's our whole relationship with work. So look, it, it feels very political because everything today is very political. Right. The skills gap shouldn't be though. I agree. And it is a good concern. How do we get people just to have glory in effort? Lee Steinberg's next. Talking about college students getting paid. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. When you go look at the NCAA and the reason we're there is to make sure that everybody is equally treated. I just don't see any way in this world it opens up so many different problems for college athletes. How are you going to say, okay, it gives you a big recruiting advantage. You come to California, you're going to make money. Then all of a sudden it breaks everything down. Well, is that indeed the case? That is legendary football coach, college football coach, Lou Holtz, who coached in South Carolina. He coached in North Carolina. He also coached famously at Notre Dame. Lee Steinberg joins us now, CEO of Lee Steinberg Sports Entertainment Holdings. Uh, and he is somebody who we talked about before it happened. When things change in college sports, you could have a name, image, and likeness. You could make some money. You can get a website, do something entrepreneurial, and not screw up your eligibility to stay in college sports. Lee, we're taking a temperature check now to see how it's going. Welcome back. Thank you. Uh, NIL has been a major success, and no one anticipated it would be this broad, this deep, and uh, encompass this many athletes. But it's not just been the quarterbacks of uh, NCAA teams um, from high-profile uh, different programs. It's been 
women athletes, women who competed in in the Olympics. It's been uh, entrepreneurs like Phil Knight who have given, in essence, scholarship uh, amounts to every single athlete in the Oregon program or every single athlete, female athlete in Colorado got it. Uh, Sam's Club is giving 15 different uh, endorsements to people with the first name Sam who compete in college football. And Jack in the Box is giving uh, a whole series of things to athletes who things begin with Jack. So this is long overdue, and uh, it deals with an inequity where a college athlete yeah. who doesn't have a lot of money uh, coming from the family uh, is left in a lower standard of living than his non-athletic peers and um, because they can't work during the school year. So they've been sitting, looking at field stadia, looking at uh, arenas, looking at the student store selling their number and looking at the NCAA uh, television contracts and uh, being resentful. And this may have the effect of allowing athletes to stay in school longer because it's not a choice between uh, a scholarship check and, and right. a fortune. So does Lee Steinberg look for uh, high school kids or uh, college kids and try to get them marketing deals rather than wait for them to graduate? For example, Bryce Young, Heisman Trophy winner, uh, that he's got about a seven-figure deal already while in college, never could have done illegally first, but he's already got it. And they could use that to recruit other excellent athletes, correct? Well, if you remember, uh, Nick Saban came out and in a startling moment said that his freshman quarterback, who had not played a down yet, Bryce Young, uh, last summer, had made a million dollars in endorsements. Normally, he'd be low-keying the progression of Bryce Young and let him get his feet under him, but right out the box. So now, all of a sudden, instead of waiting in football for someone to become a junior so they potentially can come out of school, we have devolved into a situation where um, you're talking to high school parents because that athlete can do an NIL while in high school. Wow. And, um, and, and there was one young basketball player who, who did just that. Um, so the parents are usually the screeners. And so it means dealing with a young man at an age much earlier than ever before. I mean, for example, tennis, they're on their own. They, you know, you could turn pro at 13. You can go get your deal from Nike. Uh, uh, Bill Schneider joins us last week, Lee Steinberg, a uh, longtime Kansas State coach. I asked him about uh, paying college players and, and about what bothers him and what doesn't. Cut 35. I have some mixed emotions. Players deserve some help. The time commitment is amazing when you get into collegiate athletics. But I also definitely oppose to, oh, the way that it has started out. You know, a young person can go out and uh, cut a deal, so to speak. He can get 250000 Another guy can go out and get a million. And in my eyes, it creates a great separation within a program. I mean, your quarterback can probably go out and get what he wants or your star running back and offensive line probably gets nothing. Sooner or later, those guys are going to look at each other and say, why are we blocking for this guy behind us? It just creates some problems. 
Have we seen that yet? But I, I mean, he brings up something very plausible, but we haven't seen that that we know of yet. Have we, Lee Steinberg? No, we have not. And uh, what we're seeing is that if you're at the University of Alabama, you don't have to be the quarterback uh, to get a deal on the football team. It goes pretty deep. Part of what's happening is alums that own businesses are using them to prop up uh, programs. And Nick Saban was recruiting when he said, in essence, the subtext was come to Alabama and you can be enriched while you're here. So, yes, it's it's triggering recruiting wars. I think the biggest single problem is the fact that you're taking athletes who are young, immature at the college level, not fully developed, and allowing them to do deals before they've done anything on the basketball court or the football uh, field. And so it puts added pressure yeah. on uh, Bryce Young happened to be a, a sort of an outlier and a spectacular freak, if you will, uh, to be that prolific, that young. But in ordinary circumstances, for example, Patrick Mahomes, when he got to the pros, we heavily advised him not to do endorsement deals for the first two years so he could put the sport first and show everyone in the organization how committed he was and have some success and do community outreach and maybe set up a charitable program before he ever did it. So that's the model. And uh, But right now we're in the free market, and uh, it's been an opportunity for alums at major programs to use their businesses to support the team. So interesting. So there's some traditionalists. Have you felt any pushback? Um, do you have, uh, have you felt guilty at all going up to a soft, have you been personally lead going up to sophomores in college or high school saying, I got an idea for you? Well, we did. We signed a, a quarterback from Liberty, Maine, Malik Willis. And, uh, Spencer Rattler hit some hard times, but we had signed him to was a quarterback from Oklahoma who's now at South Carolina. So um, not guilty because the young men and their families are, are uh, critically aware of this opportunity and they're out looking for representation. So gotcha. you know, I got calls. I got calls at the office. Uh, they knew this uh, was happening. And it's finding its own level, and it's leading to some very creative uh, uses of uh, athletes. And uh, let's face it, right after pro football, which is the country's most popular sport, comes college football. And so the TV is bringing these visitors larger in life. Remember this, too. This is a new generation. Uh, these Gen Zs have grown up on social media. And new currency, Brian, in how to judge marketability is how many followers someone has on Twitter or TikTok or Snapchat or Instagram. Wow. And so these athletes know how to brand themselves. And very often you look in and high school athletes have complete websites that uh, in some cases have a logo. They've already thought about how to uh, uh, market themselves. And so this is a, a generation different from the ones who came before them. They're completely conversant with social media and know how to brand themselves. So I want you to hear Lou Holtz to weigh in again. He just does not want this to happen. Cut 39. 
Let's understand why you go to school. You go to school in order to get an education. Why do schools even have sports? Because you learn so much from sports. You learn about adversity. You learn about getting along with other people. You learn about teamwork, being unselfish. All these qualities will carry over. You ask almost anybody who's ever played athletics how much they learned it, and that's why we have it. We don't have it for money. And let's also look, where's that money going? The money's going to build a beautiful weight room, beautiful workout areas, supplemental food, great training tables, etc. Let's understand why do we have a college sport for education. So is that old school? It is only from the standpoint that you and I would wish that every young athlete would get a college education. The reality is they don't now. Every basketball player that's at a higher level does one and done. So they, in a free enterprise uh, economy, uh, we don't tell people they have to go to college to be a businessman or something else. The business may require it. But it's the athlete's choice, and the truth is, if you look at most football programs, they graduate uh, a very partial group of their athletes after four or five years. So um, if a young man is totally sports-oriented, has no educational interest, having them off the campus or marketing and doing deals in remarkably to keep athletes on the campus longer because instead of coming directly yeah. out after one and done, they have an opportunity to have the education plus. But you can't mandate in a free enterprise, free choice uh, economy that people all have to attend college. And we lastly, gambling. I can't believe how many times I listen to all sports radio, and I used to have you on when I did it out in California, and you had your own show too that I'm hearing gambling. I don't even hear about games and teams, and I love this player. It's all about who can get me money. Are you okay with gambling in sports? I know it's coming regardless of what we think, but I just I find it disconcerting. Here's uh, where I think the problem is. If you have an athlete somehow involved or compromised because of involvement with gamblers, betters, uh, underworld figures, and – they start to get into debt. Now they're tempted to shave their performance. Yep. Um, the whole sports scene exists because you assume it's played on an equal playing field with people trying their hardest, and what happens on the field happens. But if all of a sudden you're worried that uh, gambling influence does this, and, and keep in mind that teams have been very aggressive. They, you can go to a, a baseball game and see a gambling site, DraftKings or something, up there as a sponsor. And they own part, some of the team owners own part, or a league owns part of the fantasy uh, site that involves gambling. And, yes, I have mixed feelings about it. Yeah, Lee Steinberg, always great to talk to you. It's just so good to weigh in on something that's so, uh, it's so new. You know, you want to see athletes do good. You just want to see uh, the best with the most equal playing field possible. And I love the idea of still student athletes. Lee Steinberg, thanks so much. My pleasure. You got it. one 408 7669 I'll come back and find out if there's indeed more to know. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back.
He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I really don't care about the criticism. I mean, my reputation over someone's life, like, destroy me then. I don't, I really don't care. Like, it, it was not even an, an option, and he did the right thing. So I'm, I'm just about doing the right thing, and I'm really not about politics mm-hmm. at all. Like, it's really about the people inside, and if I can do anything, no matter if it's Obama, Biden, Trump, like, I'm really wor- willing to work with anybody. And I think that I also give credit where credit's due. He did a lot for justice reform. That, to me, is the most extraordinary soundbite that I've heard in a while. I knew when Kim Kardashian nailed SNL, I said, well, that's kind of interesting. A show ends. She's totally comfortable being her. Let people put her down. Reality doesn't really sing, doesn't dance, doesn't act, but totally comfortable as a celebrity. And then talking about cancel culture while starting to be a lawyer. I'm wondering if there's even more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. She's talking about cancel culture. She's also talking about honesty, the way she kind of blew it. Uh, She also talked about working with Donald Trump, right? She talked about work with Donald Trump. And now she also talked about Barry to Barry Weiss about the cancel culture. But I thought what's most intriguing is a regret she has. Like many people, our relationship dissolves, but about wearing a certain hat on SNL. I didn't want him to wear the red hat. I'm, I'm not really a rule breaker. I'm very neutral, but I was very, that night, I was very forceful with him and arguing with him about, you know, you have to take that hat off. And now looking back, I thought, why should he take that off if that's what he believes in? Why yes. can't he wear I agree. Uh, now, maybe they could have stayed together. Besides that, uh, but Kanye West seems to be a handful. More on that later. Next, the NFL announced a return to universal masking. Uh, Quote, throughout the pandemic, we have continuously evolved our protocols uh, to meet our goal of advancing the safety of players. So far, there's about 100 players who have tested positive for the virus within the last three days. The other thing I wonder how much, how honest these players are that they got vaccinated. Yeah, you got that because I know you were you were pointing out both on radio and TV about the fake cards. But look at the Cleveland Browns. I think they have what nine or ten players that are positive, including their starting quarterback and backup quarterback may not be ready to play Saturday. But here's the problem: with Baker Mayfield says I don't, I feel fine. Yeah. I tested positive, but I have no symptoms. That's the problem with this new Omni uh, variant. Yeah, he's upset, too. He felt that the protocols, if they were so concerned about this, he goes, they were barely even testing at points. Next, you still haven't shopped. Here are very few last-minute shipping deadlines. UPS says get it there by 23rd if you want next day air. FedEx says same day, the 24th, they can do it. Uh, the regular post office priority, December 23rd, Amazon one-day delivery. That's pretty good. Considering everything. Yeah, because that's what I I am a last-second shopper, so I'm looking forward to taking advantage of this. Next, Harvard extends the test-optional admission policy for uh, four years. Harvard will will not require SAT or ACT scores for admission through the next four years, extending a policy adopted during the coronavirus. How do you know that? Just on pure transcript? I guess you could be at an easy school and get get 101 average. Yeah, just go with GPA, but at least I know I would have had a shot. I know. I didn't like the campus, right? I went on there. Next, search warrant issue for Alec Baldwin's phone over the fatal Rust shooting, you know, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. This is weird. 
That has to be something to do with the fact that he sat down for that interview with George Stephanopoulos. Conversations about the Doom production were found in Hutchins' phone dating back to July 14th. So they want to see everything that was going wrong. And you know her. She's the one that was killed. Uh, uh, Hutchins was the one who was killed. Uh, Hilna Hutchins was the one who was killed back in October inadvertently by Alec Baldwin. But I thought it was very telling that the sheriff, when he was on Fox and Friends, said to us, why did you say accident? We can't even say it's officially an accident. Nuts. Wow, it's over. Looks like this hour's over. Hey, I want to see you in Nashville tonight, 815, the Redneck Riviera. Drive from uh, everywhere. Start now. I'll be signing the President and Freedom Fighter. The book remains in the top ten of the country. Thank you so much. Then the WHRO listeners, I'll be talking for a while, taking your questions. And that'll be on Saturday. And then I'm going to pick up, uh, uh, collapse my tent, get in my motorhome, and go over to Cincinnati. BrianKillMe.com. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.